humans. <laughs> Welcome to Powering Around, the official Uppercut Podcast. Oh, here we'll be focusing on video games, fandom, pop culture, and how they all interact through the internet. How? <laughs> <laughs> One Jessica Cogswell. Um, I'm not here actually. I'm, I'm, I'm dead. I've transcended. <laughs> astral projected. Sorry, astral projected. <laughs> and um, also joining us as a very special guest. Um, she's the Uwu Queen. She's the weekend fan by editor. She's just She's just, she's just great. She's chaos. She's just the greatest. She's just chaos. Natalie, <laughs> Natalie Flores is back. Hello. <laughs> I am unfortunately for all of you back. How is everyone? Oh. We, we, this was something we decided like right before the podcast. And this is just like peak chaos, like Wednesday night, 10 p.m. type of. All the chaotic shit happens. Yeah. That's why you come come to the like the spread of times is especially funny to me because it's 10 p.m. for Natalie right now or almost it's almost 8 p.m. for me and it's almost 7 p.m. for Jess so we're all at like wildly different parts of the night um we're just chaotic 24 7 that's really how it be over here on uppercut um chaos in every time zone yeah we're we're fueled by chaos also, um, we promise that this podcast episode is not going to be about uwu culture. Like, I wish it was, though. And then, mm, if we mm, may have, <laughs> unless, um, JK, unless, oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll stop. I need to close the English to uwu translator website. Uh, you're welcome. Yes, Natalie did find an English to Uwu translator for us this evening. <laughs> you're welcome for the sponsorship, Uwu translator. <laughs> <laughs> I'll link it in the show notes. Um. Oh my god, Natalie, how are you? Aside from Uwu, <laughs> aside from all the chaos that just ensued, I am okay. How about y'all? I'm good. We had a very I'm- productive day today. We did. We got shit done. Mm-hmm. How it be under this capitalist hellscape? <laughs> I mean, at the sacrifice of like, you know, me leaving the house or any ex- any ex- Oh my god! I told you I can't talk. This is a bad week for me to do podcasts. My mouth's been Jessica. Bad. I am maybe if you will talk, then you won't uh, stumble. No, I was going to say that I I got a lot done at the uh, sacrifice of me going outside for any extended period of time but i got a lot done uh, we stand talentry yeah i think the number jess and i have been on the phone together like three times today now yeah and yeah. the number of times that she told me i'm a gremlin is uh, a <laughs> lot of time i am a gremlin <laughs> i so i was wearing sweatpants and just a hoodie and then I finally took a shower today and I put sweatpants and a hoodie back on. <laughs> Different ones, but still sweatpants. Hey, and a hoodie. that's that's fine. <laughs> I got home from work and I took off my work clothes, which is my uh 
company branded polo shirt and dress Ooh. pants. Um, and immediately got start. into leggings, leggings and a uh, rainbow uh, PlayStation T-shirt. Um, oh, and then cool. put on my fanny pack and walked my dog. So I was truly just channeling gay dad energy. That is super um, gay dad energy. Yeah. Um, I, I'm very much chaotic gay dad. <laughs> I woke up and I, um, you know, stayed in my PJs and then I showered and then I changed into other PJs. So nice. we're very productive over here too. <laughs> Caitlin, I meant to tell you too. I don't know. How do you feel about like dad baseball hats? I wear dad baseball hats. We just so if you're listening to this, maybe you know that we updated our uh, our store. So we have mm-hmm. all new merchandise and clothing, and they have dad hats. And I'm so tempted to like put a little uppercut glove on a dad hat because i think that'd be pretty cool i would wear the shit out of that i thought i was they also have fanny packs too oh fuck you can get a fanny pack that says upper cuties on it i love fanny packs i'm literally still wearing my fanny pack right now of course you never know a granola bar in the middle of recording a podcast i got tissues in here they've been really helpful what all do you have in your fanny pack um okay right now currently it's like the celebrity I, in your purse thing um okay so i have my wallet i have my car keys which i should have hung up on my car key hook but i didn't um i have a pen um i have one of the charging plugins for my vape um i have business cards for my day job because i do wear this at work um and that's it. That's what I have in there right now. That is the most Caitlin ass bag <laughs> contents I've ever heard. <laughs> Business cards got my vape charger. I don't know why it's in there. I did not bring my vape to work today, but that's what you get those items that you don't actually use, but you're so used to having them in there from like a past point of time that like it feels weird to not have them in there. Like, in my purse, it's- I've been carrying around this, like, so, like, on my 18th birthday. Oh, my God, it was on my 18th birthday. No, 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 21st. Wait, what? Yeah, 21st birthday. Oh, my God. I'm <laughs> gay. Math. Um, and memory. So, on my 21st birthday, I celebrated it by buying the, like, tiniest little, like, bottle of, like, blue vodka at some, like, liquor store that my friends took me to and like I really wanted to like do that specifically on my birthday because then I knew like the person at the front was going to be like um you look like you're 15 and so I was like <laughs> and so like I got my card like bitch I'm 21 and so I've had it in my purse unfinished since then and I don't want to finish it ever and I'm not planning to because I'm like that was like it was the mark of my transition into adulthood (laughs) (laughs) and it has just like a tiny little bit left like the most insignificant amount of little you know alcoholic drink but i it's in my purse and i haven't taken it out i've taken out other things out of my purse but that is still there and i've not thrown it away that's a for life item yeah Mm -hmm. It's okay, Nat. I literally, on my dresser where I have all my, like, 
snacks. I literally have one unopened can of mango White Claw from when I was still drinking. Like, literally, I had that back in January before I went to San Francisco for my birthday. And it was just, like, the last one I had. And it's just just still there. It's just hanging out. That's chaos. Yeah, now it's just, like, my my sobriety trophy. Hey, that's good. Kind of adorable, though. Yeah. I'll take it with me when I move. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a permanent part of this display next to the Sora <laughs> prayer candle. <laughs> I forgot about the Sora prayer candle. Remember how I almost got, like, how I got stopped at security over my Sora prayer candle? Because <laughs> I do. I literally texted Jess and Andrew as I was, like, in the airport, like, LMAO, they tried to take my Sora prayer candle at security. <laughs> I really hope that somebody who's played Kingdom Hearts saw it. Literally, the dude was like, is this a candle? And I was like, "Mm mm-hmm. And he was (laughs) like, okay. And I was like, yeah, it's just a candle. (laughs) The worst thing that I've had in my bag at TSA is to, like, you know how you gotta get self-defense items if you're anything but a cis man in this world? Well, Mm. I got, like, I got pepper spray and that was confiscated at E3. And then after that, like, um, I got this like knife, like a defense knife. I know it sounds extreme, but it's supposed to be defensive. And it looks like, I think it looked like a lipstick or something. And it had like the word bitch on it. It was like the <laughs> like, cringiest thing, but I was like, I need to protect myself in case someone tries to kill me. So I totally forgot that it was in my purse. And then it, like, you know, TSA does a whole thing where, like, oh, you have something in your bag that, like, shouldn't be there or, like, that they're going to check up on. And I was like, what the fuck? Why would I – what do I even have in my bag that like, – like, I made sure, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, the TSA agent, she, like, pulls it out and she's like, what's this? And I was like, oh, my God. I swear I wasn't going to kill people on the plane that I was going to board. Like, I swear. It, you know how it says bitch there? And it's pink. It's for self-defense. And I was, like, trying so hard to convince her. But she was just like, what the fuck? And, and like, I, I'm below five feet. Like, I do not look like someone who could fight an entire airplane and, like, take them on. Even with, like, a knife labeled bitch. So... <laughs> It was, like, I was so mortified. I was like, I swear, I just had that to protect myself. And I had to, like, run away. And it, it was so embarrassing. They, they threw it out. And I spent, like, 10 bucks on it. That was- oh. <laughs> that, that that's was- incredible. The um, weirdest thing I ever had was a lightsaber. And that's all. And I was stopped for it. And they pulled them out. And the, I guess it was the one lady who has never seen Star Wars. Because she did oh, not know what it was. <laughs> y'all tried to convince me to buy a fucking keyblade and i was like (laughs) i don't think i can take that on the plane it was like around christmas time and i got my sisters like i have two younger sisters and they both started it was like right around when the force awakens came out and uh they were really into star wars and like really liked ray and stuff like that and so i got them a couple lightsabers and i was going back to my house for christmas um to give to give them those and yeah the lady opened up my bag pulled them out they like they were like one of the flip ones too so she like, pulled them <laughs> them. She's like what? and i'm like i don't know how to tell you that you've missed 40 years of movies i don't know <laughs> i could say a lightsaber but that probably doesn't mean much to you if you can't tell 
Yeah, I just literally we went to like when I left Sacramento last year, um, I where I bought my Sora prayer candle. We were at this like wild, um, like prop costume novelty shop place, and they had like really huge, very intricately modeled keyblades, um, and I was really tempted to buy one. Um, and Andrew <laughs> and Jess were both like, "You could buy one," and I was like. You I don't could, but think I could. I was literally like, "Y'all, I'm. You're about to drive me to the airport. Like, <laughs> I don't. I don't think I can just like take a keyblade on a plane." I wonder if you could actually like hurt people with that. I could probably hit somebody pretty hard with it. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, I just realized that sounded very sinister. I swear I'm not plotting anything. I just <laughs> Natalie's like trying to assess like how hard I could hit somebody for. <laughs> I mean, blunt objects work well. I'd say it's slightly better than a blunt object. I think I do better with a blunt object. Um. Oh, Glenn, to answer your question that we never answered, if given the ch- option between a baseball bat and a six-inch non-serrated blade. I would pick a baseball bat because I am better with blunt instruments because I personally am a blunt instrument. And also I feel like I have a much better chance of fucking somebody up with a bat before they could stab me. Which one do you think the keyblade is closer to the former or the latter? I feel like, I feel like keyblade is closer to a bat. Yeah, Mm, I agree. So you're saying you could do serious damage with a keyblade? Yeah. Uh, I'm actually running for Keyblade Master. Um, oh, please vote for me. Um, Sora um, didn't get any training, so, like, fuck Sora. You're more competent yeah. at it than him. I'm actually looking to dethrone Natalie Watson. Um, so, <laughs> Super Tuesday, y'all. Pokemon go to the polls. You all were, were writing games criticism. Caitlin was studying the blade. <laughs> Natalie was getting hired to work at game studios. Exactly. Um, so so Caitlin. None of this has anything to do with what we're talking about. No, absolutely not. But just so that your listeners know, like now they know, like, hmm, if I take a keyblade on a plane, will I be able to cause serious damage? And the answer is probably. 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 I like it's not even like a for sure answer. We've just probably. Yeah. I think it just depends on the person. The like how yeah. hard can you hit? Mm-hmm. Just yeah, generally, it would be bigger than me, so I don't think I'd do much with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know what? Um, Talking about Kingdom Hearts kind of does lead into our conversation because Kingdom Hearts is a franchise, and today we're talking right. about franchises. Oh, um, amazing segue. Yeah, right? Wasn't wasn't that magical? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Oh, I just turned my light You mentioned Kingdom Hearts and she's like <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm actually I'm uh don't mind me, I have a clapper for my light. Um because oh, I don't like okay. having to get out of bed. I was like, um, why are they because <laughs> I, I it's very sensitive, so when I coughed it turned off and I don't really care for podcasting in the dark, so I've never um, done that. What? I've never done that. Like just podcasted, like in the dark. 
I have done it. I I did it one time during Slay because it happened and I didn't want to clap. So I just sat in the dark for the rest of the episode. (laughs) Um, I'll shower in the dark sometimes. No, that scares me. It's like kind of scary, but also kind of nice. (laughs) It makes me feel like I'm drowning in a cave. I don't like it. Um, This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about Kingdom Hearts, which is a franchise, as Jess said, before I completely railed it. Um, but yeah, this topic, I actually kind of thought about this topic the last time that Natalie and I were doing a podcast together, uh, talking about Kingdom Hearts, of course. Um, and I was just thinking about the fact, like, we were both talking about, like, you know, whether or not we're gonna continue with this series or not. And it just kind of got me thinking about, like, I don't know, how do we judge, like, what, like, what's core to a franchise? What makes, like, a Kingdom Hearts, a Kingdom Hearts. And, like, how do you, I don't know, like, navigate between keeping that consistency but also doing new things so that it doesn't get boring? Um, And, like, when does it change into something else? Yep. I remember that conversation well. Oh, Kingdom Hearts 3. So many feelings and thoughts. But, yes, we can get into that. I feel like it depends for every series, for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, There's a few that we have in mind about talking about. I don't know if you want to start with Kingdom Hearts. I I couldn't even tell you what makes Kingdom Hearts Kingdom Hearts anymore. Honestly. (coughs) I fell off that train. Well, I guess, like, I feel like that's a good place to start, maybe, because I don't know, Nat, like, what do you... Because to me, it's the, to me, Kingdom Hearts is the Disney and the anime inspiration, but it doesn't necessarily have to include the Final Fantasy characters. It just has to have, like, the, like, the OCs, essentially, who are, like, basically unbranded Final Fantasy characters. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you take out the Final Fantasy characters, it's not like Kingdom Hearts loses its identity or, like, its main plot is actually significantly affected but if you take out the disney it's like well first of all you don't you don't have donald and goofy you don't have yeah. mickey committing war crimes like yeah that's like half of the story <laughs> but yeah i feel like <laughs> yeah every franchise has its it's it has two separate lists one of things that could be discarded in favor of the new and one that i think they should like that's composed of things that they should stick to um and just evolve on but not necessarily sacrifice um and when you start sacrificing those things that's when it becomes an issue um and and not just like over like sacrificing too much but also not like my issue with kingdom hearts 3 was that it didn't evolve enough um Mm -hmm. about like kingdom hearts but it's not the evolution that i think we kind of needed at this point 15 years later but that's my opinion, of course. Yeah, well, and it felt like to me that the stuff that they were trying to, like, improve on and do new shit with was just, like, very gimmicky and not interesting. Yeah. Because, um, like, I mean, like, the the roller, like the theme park rides being part of the combat and, yeah. like, all of the combat stuff. Like, I liked the Keyblade transformations and stuff, but... I honestly think that the combat system in Birth by Sleep was perfect, and, like, I think every Kingdom Hearts could use that, and it would never yeah. be a problem. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, I don't know. It's funky. But what you said about, like, evolving and stuff does kind of make me think of Bioware. Just because Dragon Age and Mass Effect both kind of suffer from this. I think Mass Effect to a worse degree. Yes. Um, I would definitely say that. Um, Yeah. It's it's interesting because, like, I don't... uh, Mm, complicated feelings. Uh, I think Dragon Age has evolved in a way that it hasn't sacrificed the things that are important to it, which is like the lore, a strong cast of characters, um, like this grand fantastical world, but it's also not been afraid to kind of evolve the things that don't define it. Like, Like when I think of Origins, I don't think of its battle system as being like, super important to the core like exactly how it is and that's why i think like it's one of the things that like has changed across dragon age games and it feels like like a natural evolution but if you were to like remove one of the integral parts like like even dragon age 2 and its limited scope really delves into the lore and into like expanding this universe maybe not in terms of like how wide it is spread but the depth and like the conflicts that it explores is really important to Dragon Age 2, like the Mage versus Templar um conflict. So like Dragon Age games doing that is a really core part of each Dragon Age game that I don't think you can like like it's one of those things that you can't sacrifice. You can evolve on it and you can make it work. Like they made it work with a smaller um time frame and a smaller scope, but um it was like a different take on it, and I think that's why Dragon Age Two. I don't know, I'm in the minority, but Dragon Age Two is a good game, in my opinion. Dragon Age Two is a good game. Dragon Age. I think that's right there with 2, you. Um, I think the thing with the Dragon Age as a franchise also is like every iteration has been wildly different. Um, so I think there's like less of a like a set tone for what Dragon Age is which I think is good but also kind of hard because like when I try to explain why I don't like Inquisition because in my in my heart there's like a thing about Dragon Age that is compelling to me that Inquisition doesn't have but it's harder to put that into words when every game in the series like is different so Mm -hmm. it's like so different and I guess um, you, you could argue that that's part of Dragon Age's DNA, though. Like, something that mm-hmm. um, Kenneth and I have been reading the Dragon Age novel that just came out today on the 11th as we're recording. Um, actually, no, it came out yesterday. My bad. Um, and so it it got us thinking about how Dragon Age has sort of ridden itself into both what makes it really good and both what limits it which is that each game has a different protagonist and each game has um a different setting and so that the core part of dna of of dragon age's dna is to explore a different setting and a different cast through the eyes of a different person each game but in the process you kind of you kind of lose a lot of players because it's like you get attached to one character from one entry but they are then sort of discarded in favor of the next cast and the next mm-hmm. location. And it kind of just keeps going like that. So while that flexibility is 
one of the core aspects that Dragon Age can't really um, can't really sacrifice. Like the next game will not have the Inquisitor as um, as a hero just because it's that's how it's worked this entire time. As much as people love the Inquisitor mm-hmm. overall that has been Dragon Age's core, a different protagonist and different setting and different <coughs> characters with each game. So for them to kind of go back on that, even though it's what most people would want, it's it's sacrificing one of those core elements. And so they they know that they yeah. can't do that. So it, it kind of works both Well, and I think that's... Them, you know? I think I hadn't thought about it until you brought it up, but I think that's actually part of the core of Dragon Age that I think is up. Because, like... There's always a different character, but with Origins, Awakening, and 2, there's a connection between all of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Inquisitor is just some fucking rando. <laughs> like, like the first game, you have your Warden, and then in Awakening, if your Warden lives through Origins, you can import them into um, Awakening. Plus, Ogryn is there. Plus, like, Nathaniel Howell, who's the son of fucking Arl Howe, is there. So there's, like, a connection to the main story of Origins. And then in and two... Anders, too, right? Yeah, and then in two, Anders is there again. And, like, Anders and Justice are there, technically. And then also, like, Flemeth is still there. Isabella and Meryl come back. Hawk is from fucking Lothering. So, like, there's the, like, story connection of, like, yeah, this is a different character. Yeah, it's a different setting. But, like, there are ties to what has happened before. Mm-hmm. And then the Inquisitor just fucking shows up at the wrong place at the wrong time. And they're like, yep, there, this is it. And you there don't feel you that the, like you connecting threads were strong enough. Like, like one of my favorite parts of Inquisition is Flemeth and Morrigan, like when they like mm-hmm. do reunite together. Um, but I imagine that like, that thread and other like smaller threads that kind of like tied back into the last yeah. games, like those weren't compelling enough for you. They just like I feel like they don't get presented soon enough. Yeah, because like you get Cullen, which is cool if like if you're familiar. Um, but I don't think that Cullen is like a particularly bombastic character. He's not. I, I think he like I know a lot of people like him, and I think I, I think like t- him. I think it takes like knowing his history and also like I don't know I think anything you... about him and I like him. Shut the fuck up. I hate you. Um this I is the like... thing though. I think that if you haven't played the other ones, okay, so I played the first game up until the point when I had sex with Alistair. And mm-hmm. then I was like, okay, that was satisfying, I'm done. And then I didn't play the second one. Sex having simulator. Yeah, basically. I was like, that's it, right? Like, I beat the game. That's Dragon Age. (sighs) His dick was the dragon. I slayed it. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm hanging up. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, No, but I think Um, the thing with Cullen is, like, Cullen Cullen is cute and, like, hot and, like, like, bait for, like, certain folks who are attracted to that kind of thing. But Cullen is not, like, a character. Cullen is not, like, a character that you, like, remember or who, like, stands mm. out. You know what I mean? Because, like, Ogren is, like, not one of my favorite characters, but he's very memorable because he's a fucking ginger dwarf with a wife who fucking left him to go be a lesbian and then create monsters, you know? So then, so then like, again, we do have Varric in Inquisition. Yeah, that's true. But I literally no, forgot about that because... 
I feel like they just strip Varric of a lot of his personality in that game. They do. I do agree with that. So, like, I don't, like, I literally forgot that Varric is a party member in that game. Yeah. <laughs> I think that has to say something, then. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's just me. I don't like Inquisition. It's just not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I try really hard more recently to not bag on it as much because I know it's, you know, other people like it and have it. But I think, like, to, like to, so this is kind of subjective to a degree, but to me it is, like, having those different stories told, but having those connective threads. Because, like, Dragon Age 2, the start of that is happening at the same time as Origins. Um, and then you're seeing, like, what what comes from that later. Whereas Inquisition was, like, I feel like it was too fan service It was like, look, here's Cullen, here's Varric, Morgan's back, and she's gonna human-splain the elves! But then, like, <laughs> they have Corypheus, but the only way you would know who Corypheus is play the DLC of Dragon Age 2. From 2. Mm-hmm. And so, like, otherwise he's just, like, some weird, creepy-looking dude, and they don't give him, like, very much of a villain arc aside from that. And it just, like, it felt like they were trying to do references and not, like, connection. Which is so funny, because, like, I think that if you're somebody who doesn't have experience with the series, like, and you don't know it's fan service, none of that comes across that way. Yeah, I'm sure it doesn't. I think for me, it's just, like, frustrating, because so much of that game pulled from outside sources mm-hmm. and like so you don't get the impact of knowing that mm-hmm. and then like and so it's fine if you don't have it but then if you do it's just like I don't know it's like there y'all could have like incorporated so much more of the storytelling you've already done like because there's a whole book about the Orlesian shit and like yeah. Maybe half of that information is conveyed in Inquisition. Mm. In one quest. That's- yeah, like, and all of the Cole and Reese stuff from the um, Mage Templar book. I don't remember what it's called. Mm. Uh, like, so, yes, so much gets, like, le- got, like, left on the cutting room floor. And so it's like, okay, like, I'm a giant fucking Dragon Age nerd. So obviously, like, I've read all those books. I know all these things. And, like knowing that and then seeing that like other people are not getting that context is really really frustrating like I had a friend who played the Orlesian stuff and he was like oh yeah I picked Gaspard because like I don't know he seemed all right and I was like Gaspard's yeah, a you know, like, he's like freaking dick like in the books yeah. is awful and I felt the same yeah. like watching people kind of justify Gaspard like I-, I think there's like I guess a little bit of nuance to it but I think the book is very clear about portraying him as like a terrible kind of ruler and i don't think the game really conveys that as well as the book does naturally Mm -mm. i mean it's just one mission but and that is the both the thing that works for it and that works against it like all like Mm. everything that i've read in these last like nearly 700 pages over the last few days like I doubt most of it will be referenced in Dragon Age 4. Like, maybe there will be a character that will show up from one of these many short stories in this anthology. But it's like, you know, it, but but at the same time, it's like a it's like a little treat, you know? Like, oh, you can have some crumbs <laughs> as a Dragon Age fan. Ooh, and read this book and enjoy it. And it, uh, I don't know, it's... Yeah, because I just, like, I guess I just don't think that, like, you should have to go to the extremes that, like, we do 
to like get the full context of what's happening mm. in the world. Um, yeah. Especially because I feel like the previous games do a good job of like really hyper focusing on the political conflicts that are at hand and like mm-hmm. digging into those and tr- kind of showing the nuances of them. Whereas Inquisition leaned into the open world shit so much, I feel like they didn't get the time to like really invest in everything because there's just so much. And it's a difficult line to balance because you also don't want to alienate the people who enjoy Dragon Age but are just simply not interested in reading the side material. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why there are lots of like guides and like summaries online of like what happens in this book and what happens in the other book just because the majority of people aren't going to read these things these things are more for like the hardcore uh (laughs) fans and it's you also don't want to alienate the people who enjoy this series well enough on its own without having to read like i think the witcher 3 released um hit that balance very well and like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. giving enough content that like a book reader would really appreciate like little nuggets of information and stuff but also like like that's why it's so popular and that's why it's like probably the biggest game ever as of right now because people did not feel like there was a significant barrier to getting into the series even though most people both didn't read the books before the witcher 3 came out and most people also didn't play the witcher 1 and two like maybe they played the witcher 2 or maybe they just like didn't play either of them like i didn't play the witcher 1 or 2 i just went straight to 3 and then after that mm-hmm. i read all seven books and then i replayed it um just to see what it was like for someone with the knowledge from the books and so it's like a it's a difficult line to balance i would say um yeah um something i've been thinking something i was thinking about for you two more it doesn't really apply to me as much how do you deal with this with something like final fantasy (laughs) good question (laughs) jessica you can go first um so i guess like final fantasy is the hardest (sighs) one to kind of talk about i think um i feel like in a lot of games it's generally like the mechanics that change or like the cast of characters but there's like certain core elements that kind of remain the same Mm-hmm. Um and Final Fantasy that's kind of tossed out the window. <laughs> um <laughs> just all of it. Um I think to me what makes a Final Fantasy game a Final Fantasy game is some sort of fantastical like almost like a hero's journey type story. Um yeah, for sure. You know, and and like that's really kind of it. Like I always feel like it's like it's you have your one core protagonist generally and like sometimes it's a few there's like kind of like a core group like i you know with like 15 you know it's just four bros hanging out um <sighs> but i don't know it's it's like it's that and it's kind of that journey that you go on and the relationships that you form and um i mean i think in pretty much every game you end up saving the world <laughs> yeah pretty much i mean I, I guess in a way that would be like an ideal to strive for like for a series mm-hmm. to be able to evolve and look like so many different things and still feel like it is that series like there's like as divisive as 15 and 12 and a as divisive as those entries are there's still like like it's very hard to not call them final fantasy 
And I guess, like, in a way, it might be, I guess, the ideal for every series to sort of evolve to the point that you can look very different from what you used to look like before. And it's still, like, mm-hmm. like you can still say this is Dragon Age. Like, like for me, Final Fantasy, like like you said, it, it doesn't look like one thing, and that's what makes it Final Fantasy. Like, after, after Final Fantasy VII, they could have stuck to a very traditional and like conservative formula but i personally think like i'm a big final fantasy 8 stan and Mm -hmm. i tend to think it's like i would call it the most important game in the series because it sort of it really broke conventions and it broke all the rules that final fantasy had established for itself up until that point and that's why it was able to bring about entries like final fantasy 12 and final fantasy 13 later on because breaking rules is something that became sun like central to the series identity so um that it looks like different things i think to me is yeah like it it is part of final fantasy like mm-hmm. there's like like you said there are some things that can be sacrificed like the battle mechanics have always been different in every game even if they're the differences are small um so the battle system has always been something that you can sacrifice. It's, you know, they, I I feel like they have a very good grasp on the differences between the list of things that make up the core of Final Fantasy and the list that of things that they can sacrifice. And I think, Mm -hmm. um, I think kind of like it's all up to like, it's very open up to them. Like ultimately, as long as they have a story about like a fantasy world with like callbacks to certain, like, mascot characters even like they yeah the chocobos yeah. and the mob and yeah. like there are some final fantasy games that are set in the same like world which is kind of a cool thing too like yeah. um you know 12 has oh i can't remember what the, the bunny people uh, are called uh vera vera's yeah so 12 has vera's and like that's something that you see in final fantasy tactics um mm-hmm. and now and 14. oh yeah it's mm-hmm. does they are in 14 now <laughs> Yeah, they added Vieras in the last mm-hmm. expansion. People are yeah. really excited about that. Here's and there's four. also like a there's a Final Fantasy twelve raid in there. There's Final Fantasy ten references, like the ongoing story raid right now. Um does a lot of callbacks to Final Fantasy eight. Like it yeah. the series has reached the size to the size that it can do that with ease and it's still Final Fantasy. Like it's um, one of the parts of Final Fantasy 2, and this might sound a little bit strange, um, is also just like romance. Like all of the games tend to have a very um, prominent love story in them, like between I, a couple of the characters. And that's one of the that's I think like that's the only thing I don't love about Final Fantasy 14, because I'm bisexual and there are so many people that I would like to kiss. And I cannot mm, they, kiss them. You don't have gay relationships in that one? You can, you can get gay married. Yeah. Yeah, okay. you can marry to whoever you want. But, like, in terms of, like, the story NPCs, it's kind of impossible for them to incorporate a romance just because it's an MMO. And so mm-hmm. yeah. whenever I think about things that I – very few things that I don't like about 14, that's always the number one thing that yeah. I think of. So I absolutely agree. Like, there's always some sort of – um romance and also i think a willingness to um 
do social commentary maybe like it's never like perfect but um I think a lot of it is about like a fantasy costume dressing but touching on real world issues and that's what I've always gone to Final Fantasy for um sure and I imagine that's one of the core things that they aren't willing to sacrifice yeah, I would completely agree with that. Every single one of them very much um, has some kind of like a a message they want to deliver about how, uh, I don't know, just like the state of the world, you know? And not in like a Hideo Kojima kind of way, but a more subtle way. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even like like Final Fantasy IX, which seems like like the most, you know, cutesy one, was largely about xenophobia. Oh, Final Fantasy IX... I really like I purposely think the art style is very cutesy and the the color palette at least for the marketing is very light just to kind of hide the fact that I at least I think it's the darkest final fantasy like it, it really touches on existentialism and death and mourning and like morat like mortality and, and also morality just all mm. these themes that are so real and that that game always hits a little too close to home for me um so i absolutely agree um i remember um when like vivi's going through it and like black mage black mage village oh yeah that i was thinking when i think of final fantasy Fantasy nine i think about that and the ending specifically vivi's monologue Mm. oh god it's hard vivi talks right because you kingdom hearts right that's all i know i i own final fantasy 9 i'm by i'm uh, andrew bought it for me to stream um Uh but i haven't started it yet i only know vv from kingdom hearts and kingdom hearts he does not talk i remember that surprised me too back then but yeah vv actually like talks and is one of the most famous characters in the series yeah what the fuck i had a vv plush growing up (laughs) What does his voice sound like? No voice acting. I mean, Final Fantasy IX wasn't voiced. Yeah. But he, like... He has dialogue. Yeah. Mm. Like, extensive dialogue. Like, he's... Like, I would say he's the most central character in Final Fantasy IX. I would agree. Yeah. Like, Like, Zidane slash Zidane is the protagonist. But if we're talking about, like, someone who's... Like, I think the story is mainly about Vivi. That's what I was going to say, too, is, like, I think, obviously, like, Zidane and Garnet and stuff like that are the central characters, but I would say that the story is delivered through, uh, through Vivi. Yeah. You need to play Final Fantasy IX. It's fantastic. I have it. It's on my PlayStation. I'm just waiting to move and have better internet that I can stream (laughs) again. I think it's the best Final Fantasy. Like, I have a list of, like, my favorite Final Fantasies, and I have a list of the ones that I try to separate my bias from and consider to be like an order of the quote-unquote objective best final mm-hmm. fantasy 9 is always at the top and forever will be i'm pretty sure Nine is fantastic game i mean i think there's really i don't know i'm not really a final fan of, like I, I like all of them like there's really not one i haven't played 15 though. shocker i'm so shocked that jessica cogswell can't decide which final fantasy is the best one. Oh no, seven is my favorite. I don't I think mean seven, I know it's your favorite. I don't think seven's but, the best one. 
I mean, I, but I, I could understand how people would argue it, but seven is my favorite. Oh, oh you could see both sides of it. <laughs> hmm. I'm a centrist. <laughs> Leave me alone. Shut the fuck up. You're a Final Fantasy centrist. I am a Final Fantasy centrist. I should put that in my, my Twitter bio. <laughs> Do, do it. it. See how long it takes someone to notice. Oh, God. I might, I might do some stupid bullshit and do that. That's my favorite game to play with the uppercut Twitter bio. Is just adding random shit in there and seeing how long it takes. <laughs> you know, it brings you- to mind. Um, yeah. Um, Sorry, but yeah. <laughs> oh no, I was just gonna say they're usually pretty quick to notice that though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. People pay too much attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have Have either of you played? An Animal Crossing game. I haven't. My memory is hag. So like I've played all of them. <laughs> I've never played a single one. <gasps> Do you plan on playing New Horizons? No, I don't. Awesome. Okay, Jessica. So I think this. I think this point really ties in well to what we're discussing, which is the fact that like you've seen the discussions going around about how like New Horizons feels like it's sacrificing the core of Animal Crossing haven't i haven't seen that what are people saying so people are saying that and i i don't disagree with this so like before like like if you think about the original animal crossing for the gamecube you are this like foreign person who comes to this town and you essentially are just part of this community like the game um doesn't try to sort of mold around you you sort of have to adapt to the village and to its people and its way of life and you have to learn how to like just exist in this space with these like critters that are obviously different from you in so many ways but it feels like new horizons is heading into a direction where you're kind of playing like god a little you're not just like a member of a community but you're rather this like architect of an entire system and society yeah. essentially because you like, wrote an article about this on paste right yeah yeah she wrote it because um i think she saw the same tweet that i saw like someone made a good point of how it feels like it's becoming minecraft where like now you can sort of build like cliffs that. and edit you know like the riversides and build all these things and it's like that's not what animal crossing was in the first place it was really just about you coexisting with these different critters in this community and you becoming an integral part of that community just like each and every one of them but now it's like like after new leaf which is why i don't think i connected to new leaf as much and why i'm hesitant even though i'm super excited for new horizons i wonder how much i will actually end up liking it because in new leaf i don't think i liked being a mayor like i didn't like people not being mean to me like i liked when villagers told me i was a piece of shit like do it like just tell me i'm awful for forgetting our day or like forgetting to run this errand for you but everyone is nice to you in new leaf because you're the mayor and you can construct all these projects that you don't even really you don't really have to get approval from the villagers from you just kind of do it and now in new horizons it's like you can like you can decide where someone moves, like the plot of land where someone is going to move on. And you can like decide how the island looks, not just in terms of like what you put on it, but also from the get-go, like you can design the type of island that you want to 
um, fly to. Like you have options um, of different like styles. And so it's kind of, it kind of has me wondering whether Animal Crossing has sacrificed its core aspects in terms of like being part of a community and it's kind of evolved into something more than it was supposed to be or just like evolved into in a direction that I don't think is doing it um I don't think is doing it favors just because some people are like some people prefer like I prefer the GameCube game like that's still my favorite one um yeah and like this whole idea of like becoming this like architect god and sort of like being able to choose where people live like moves into on the island like it's a little it's a little odd and it feels weird and so it it has me like like when we talked about doing this episode i thought of animal crossing really early on because we've yet to see how it'll turn out and um in a little more over than a week but um it is a discussion that's going on and i think that has some really good merits to it so far it's hard because (laughs) the animal cross or animal cross animal crossing centrist is logging on too oh Um, my god shocker i I, what i'm gonna say is i am not about it and I also didn't like being mayor. And I also, I like, because in the GameCube one, you kind of travel, you get on the train and you travel into the town. Um, and I remember, I, maybe I just started it at night. That's probably what it was. But it's like nighttime. And you're like pulling up to this new town and you get out. And like the whole thing is kind of, it's not necessarily about like making the town yours. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm starting new here and I want these people to think I'm cool and to like me. And I want to be a part of this. Like, you know, you like they have their own like little like system going on and like they I don't know it's it's cute and you just want to be a part of it. You want to be a part of that little party that's going on, you know? Yeah. And like I like that. You want to be included. Um I can understand why in this new one they're going that direction. And I think it's for it's for kids, you know what I mean? Like that's that's kind of the reason they're going that way. Um and the last like what? When did Minecraft come out? Like probably 100 years ago. 15 years ago by now. Like you know, I think that there's been when like Hatsune Miku created the earth, she also <laughs> created Minecraft. Oh my god. But no, I think like in the last like probably 10 15 years there's been such a push for open world games and for sandboxes and like the the only the games that kids come into GameStop looking for are like Minecraft, Roblox gift cards, Terraria. Like it's it's all that style of gameplay. So I think that for a lot of kids, if if they plop down into into uh, Animal Crossing: New Horizons and they weren't able to have control over all of that, it would probably not be a great experience for them. Mm. I and I think I mean. There's, I guess, something larger to be said here about why in the in the year, like the decade 2010, we're making all of these games about uh, colonizing places. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. shout out to like Effect Andromeda, shout out to Journey to the Savage Planet, like all of these oh, games man. are just blatant oh. about it. Um, yeah. But and like, I guess it's even more concerning because like the dangerous thing with that mentality is I think it's most prominent in games that young people are playing. Yeah. 
but yeah i don't know i like i think that's probably why nintendo's doing it is it like the right good thing to do probably not <laughs> um, but it works. I don't like it. They're are gonna we it. then the animal crossing boomers we are absolutely animal crossing boomers <laughs> oh no okay animal crossing boomer <laughs> yeah okay gamer but it's just fucking tom nook's face <laughs> okay like, boomer i think nintendo is really like focusing on doing that though taking like these older franchises and like trying to reinvigorate them somehow um i mean because like look at breath of the wild like breath yeah. of like that's what like when you guys talked about like what makes a franchise a franchise the biggest thing i thought of was legend of zelda because to me that's like the ultimate like we're going to take this well-loved established super like formulaic franchise and they just like broke apart and like and completely restructured it Um, and it worked out for the best because i think like there are the core elements that they made sure to preserve like there's ganon there's link um you know i I think Zelda's voiced, right? But Link isn't. Like, that is, as, like, weird as it is, it is a core part of a Zelda game for Link to be voiceless. Um, Just, like, these small things that they made sure... Like, I feel like they made that list of, like, what are the things that every single entry has had and can't sacrifice? And let's compare that to everything that we've been able to just... Um, change even in some minor way and if it has been changed at all then it is open for us to essentially break utterly and completely and sort of create something entirely new and I think that's why Breath of the Wild worked because it's not like like nobody played that game and was like oh this isn't a Legend of Zelda game like everyone was like yeah this is Legend of Zelda it's very different but mm-hmm. it is still Legend of Zelda I've only played um two of them but uh, along with breath of the wilds but even i was like yeah this is legend of zelda like this is like it's just the best version of what an evolution can be and i feel like it probably is difficult to sort of recognize those key um aspects of a series and a franchise just because like you're so in it that i imagine it's it's hard to sort of separate those things and requires a little bit of sacrificing your own ego. Like we can sort of, we can do without this amazing thing that we did in Majora's Mask or in Ocarina of Time. And we can do something totally different here, but we can't sacrifice these specific things. Mm. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest, like to me, there were some core Zelda elements that were cut out that like, it's still absolutely a Zelda game, but like, you know, my heart hurts playing it because, like, I loved those things. Like, I love the temples. I love, like, having, like, the element of time travel or, like, other dimension travel. You know, like, things like that. Because, um, like, in pretty much every Zelda game, there's, like, either, like, you can either time travel or you go back and forth between, like, two different forms. Or you have, like, two different worlds that you kind of go back and forth between. And, like, that's kind of a puzzle-solving thing. Like, you might get to a place and realize, like, oh, I need to go back in time and do this thing. That way, in the future, this is open to me. And, like, there's a lot of back and forth there. And so, like, 
that's the kind of stuff that I do miss. But when you break down Zelda and like, I absolutely think you're right, Natalie. I think that they probably sat down and they made this list and like, okay, what makes a Legend of Zelda game, the Legend of Zelda. And I think as weird as it is, because the game is not like based on relationships or anything like that, you know, like nobody's like, oh, this, the the characters in Zelda are the best part of it, you know? Yeah. No, but, but, but I do think that like having the silent protagonist link, you have, you know, Zelda who like the Triforce, she represents wisdom, Link is courage and Ganon is power. And like, those are the three pieces of the Triforce. Those are like the three kind of like, I don't know. I, I want to say like sides, I guess. I added like the three perspectives of, of mm-hmm. like the game or like the three different, like they're kind of foils to one another, I guess. Yeah. Um, and you have, you have the master sword and you have your heart containers. <laughs> and I think that those are like some of like the fundamental pieces of the game. And it seems kind of strange because like, the master sword is an object. The heart containers is just like one simple mechanic. And then you have like these characters who aren't super strong characters whose personalities have changed game to game, but they're still those characters. And for some reason, when combined, that makes a Zelda game, regardless of what else you do. And I guess there's something kind of powerful and like kind of amazing about that. Yeah, because it's it's very broad, just like with Final Fantasy. And I think that's what, again, that's probably what, most series want to achieve sort of like being able to be so many different things that they are no longer confined to a list of like the list of things that they can sacrifice Mm -hmm. should be longer like doubly longer at least than the list of things that are the core things that they can't um they can't really sacrifice which i think a series that has not handled this well is persona Mm. I would say um in which like the list of things that they are not willing to sacrifice is very static um mm. and I think that's why a lot of people felt like Persona 5 didn't change the formula enough even though it was like a good evolution of like the formula that's existed so far I think people want something a little more from Persona as a series now uh, I mean to me like Persona 4 to Persona 5, the jump seems very much like Ocarina of Time to Majora's Mask, which is like not that big of a jump. Basically, same game with a different story. Yeah. Um, yeah. The mechanics are super similar. Like the items are super similar. Like the the buttons you have to press are the same. You know what I mean? The mechanics are like the same. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's just like, I like honestly, I don't think there's a huge difference between the two games. The biggest thing, like, like even a lot of the characters are very much the same. <laughs> like, Rise is pretty much just on, you know, or on, I guess, yeah. is Rise. Uh, Ryuji is kind of Yosuke. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like, there's, you know what I mean? Like, it's so, um, Mikoto, the, rape, like, the homophobia and sexism hasn't changed either. Oh, that's mm-hmm. Yeah. All the same shitty problems about how it treats women, how it treats like people of different body sizes, like just like ed- like yeah, <laughs> it's it's still, yeah. there's a lot of issues with those games for like, sure. Breath of the Wild, it it doesn't do a whole lot, but it it does try at least to evolve Zelda's character. Like it recognizes, yeah, yeah she can't be just a princess anymore. That's why she literally has a voice in this game. Why she is like. I believe she's a scientist, right? Like she likes to like, like I, I remember one scene where she was kind of like studying flowers and um, she just kind of wanted to get out 
in the world. It was kind of yeah. like a sort of commentary on how confined her role has been thus far in the series. And like, it's like, that was something that they were willing to sacrifice. Like, do we actually need Zelda to be so restricted as like a core element of the story? No, we need Zelda there because we need her as the wisdom part of the Triforce, but you don't exactly need her to be as restricted as she's been throughout the series. And one of the best. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I just, I think she, I think she resonated with people. I think she did. She wasn't perfect, but I think, I think this iteration of Zelda has resonated with people in a way that I haven't seen other Zelda iterations resonate with as much. Well, because I think, and this is all I was like, what I was going to say is like, I think that a lot of times Zelda is kind of pre- presented more as like an idea than a person Yeah. Um, because she represents, like I said, they all kind of represent an idea, but hers is wisdom. And I think that Zelda has always even like, Maybe I guess maybe in like Wind Waker, they're probably the biggest deviation away from it. But in all the other games, I mean, she's a princess. She's poised. She she doesn't really get angry, even though her like fucking kingdom is in ruins. You know what I mean? Like she doesn't get angry. She's calm. She's kind of more passive. Um, and like that's who she is. She's kind of like a stoic character. Um, and one of the best moments in the entire series, despite me not thinking like I like Breath of the Wild for sure, but like it's definitely not one of my favorite Zelda games. But I think one of the best moments in the entire series is when like Zelda gets fucking mad and upset and emotional in um, Breath of the Wild. And she's so upset that like Link is chosen as the hero of time and that things are coming to like Link and that he can use like the Sheikah technology and stuff like that, even though she's like more deserving and works harder. <laughs> She's like frustrated, you know, and like she gets yeah. mad about it. And I'm like, holy shit. Like that's Yeah, exactly. Like she acts the way that any anybody would when they are more deserving of something and it doesn't work out for them, you know? Like she's upset. This is her kingdom. She wants to protect it. She wants to be the person who's doing all this and she wants to have agency. And that is the first time in a Zelda game that you like really feel that. Yeah. I agree. It's really powerful. I agree. Um, did either of you play the Final Fantasy VII remake demo? I have. Just <gasps> mm, I have not either, but I, I did watch people play it, and I think that could also fit pretty well into this discussion. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Jess, as someone who played it? So I think, you know, obviously the biggest difference is going to be the mechanics. Um, I, I don't – I think it's too early to tell if, mm-hmm. like – if it's going to feel like Final Fantasy VII, because I'm a little bit nervous that they're going to add so much shit in there that like the original, I guess, like message and feeling and tone of the game is going to change because like they're talking about how they're going to add all these interactions with like the other Avalanche members and like you can go like have dinner, I guess, at Jesse's like family home and, and, and like all of this stuff. And like part of like what made seven seven was like that kind of feel that like midgar is not a home (laughs) like this is a place where people have been like forced to live underneath like all the fucking like elite people who literally live on top of them on the plates you know what i mean like yeah it's not subtle (laughs) no yeah it's it's like it's it's supposed to be a whole bunch of people who are just like trying to make it and like kind of in despair and like i guess there's like something to be said about like finding like the light in that situation and like family in that situation and stuff too which might like be added in by these interactions um but i don't know i think it's it's just too early to tell for me it's less about like 
you know, I, some people will look at how like pretty the new game is and, and be like, ah, oh, but I miss like the old, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the hand-drawn like backgrounds that, you know, what, what's yeah. the word that I'm looking for when like the, the backgrounds are hand-drawn and like static? Mm. Is that the not ter- just what that's called? No, there's like an actual term for it though. Like, like for that, oh. that style went in a game. I do not know. Uh, Can't no, remember right now. Brain either. cells are not enough right now. <laughs> but no, so like the illustrated backgrounds, basically, like, and some people might see the new kind of more hyper realistic stuff and think that's kind of, you know, spitting on the old art or the new orchestrations, like they're different too. But to me, like, I don't think that. Like the music and the art definitely do make Final Fantasy VII, but I don't necessarily think the advancements make it not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just kind of naturally like where video games have evolved to. For me, it's going to be in like I guess the tone. That's what I'm going to be looking for, and I think it's too early to get the tone yet. Mm, interesting, because I've seen a lot of people. Like I've seen some people watch the opening cutscene and they were like, "Oh, this like nailed it! Like this was." perfect mm. like this feels like the original opening but like a, a newer like more updated version and some people um were just like yeah it doesn't it doesn't really feel like the old one anymore like it doesn't feel recognizable um it was obviously not going to be the same as the original but um it's interesting that people feel that way even though the scenes are pretty similar at least on the surface like (laughs) they follow the same sort of direction um there are a few added scenes like uh when someone like when that close-up shot of someone stepping on Aerith's flower that wasn't in the original but like the transition from like where Aerith is to then the whole of Midgar like that is very much still there um Mm -hmm. yet it feels so different to some people I honestly think that with Final Fantasy VII, at least like right now, I think that whatever you go into it feeling or expecting is going to be how you feel about the game. Yeah. Like, I think that if you have your mind made up that you're not going to like it and that things have changed, um, I don't think you're going to like the game. (laughs) Like, I I just, I don't know. I think that's just kind of true. I think that there's like maybe... Like, the needle might be pushed maybe more towards liking it once you get in it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that for the most part, if you go in with that mentality, that's how you're going to feel about it. And I think the other, like, other way is true, too. I think that if you're super hyped and you, like, are just, like, I've been waiting for 20 years. Like, I, you know, this looks beautiful. Give it to me. Um, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to do the same thing. Like, you're going to be really into it. And maybe you could be, like, dissuaded a little bit and not like it as much. I don't know. They could like fuck something up majorly and maybe it ruins it for, you know, everybody. But um, I don't know. I think it's going to be a what you make of it situation. Yeah. I wonder how many conversations they've had just figuring out those two lists of like, Mm -hmm. these are the core things. These are the things we can change. Um, And how difficult those conversations might be, especially for a game that is known for having influence an entire genre of video games like mm-hmm. the rpg genre would not be the same without final fantasy 7 whether you like it or not it's just it's just mm-hmm. a tea so um yeah i i wish i could sort of peer i wish i could have looked into those conversations because i imagine they 
they weren't easy. I imagine lots of things about the development of this game have been difficult, but I do wonder just how um how high that sort of ranks because it is really important for them to nail a certain tone and to feel like it's an evolution and not um like it just kind of like does away with the core elements of Final Fantasy 7. Now, and something else that's interesting about like that conversation and about like remaking the game and like kind of the behind the scenes thing is like it's been 25 years or t- no way it came out in 97. So like 23 years since the game came out. Um, mm-hmm. And so at this point, some of the people who are working there were people who grew up playing the game and who were fans of the game. Like you just know that's got to be the case. So you have people like Nomura and, and higher ups who have been there for forever. And then I'm sure you have a lot of these people who are fans who are now getting into it or not, not getting into it, but getting into like the game making business or who've been there for a few mm-hmm. years. And like, I I would love to see like the differences and like what's important and like what people kind of fought for, like, Oh, this should totally be in it or this shouldn't, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Kate, what are some other series you have in mind? <laughs> Sorry, I've just been enjoying listening to y'all talk about shit that I've never played. <laughs> I felt bad because me and Jess have just been like, la, 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 la. no, I dig <laughs> it. I like, I, now I never shut the fuck up. I hear my voice all the time. Anytime I can hear anyone else talking, is a blessing. I appreciate hearing your voice. I love your voice. That's why I work <laughs> uppercut just to hear your voice. <laughs> That's what Jess calls me daily it's just to hear my voice real quick um i'm trying to think of like what other series i come to mind for me on this oh i had ding and rampa on here god ken and i are just fucking anime rival that's just what it is because we like the same shit but have like completely opposite opinions about it you're disappointed with the direction it went into Mm-hmm. I think Ken and I have, like, fought about this um, in the Into the Spine server before of, like, I, I love, I am such a sucker for murder mysteries. I love a murder mystery. Um, So anything that has that premise, I'm, like, down to play. Um, And then, so a a friend of, a mutual friend of Jess and mine, uh, I was first kind of getting back into video games as an adult. Um, introduced me to Danganronpa so I started playing the so I played the first one and I was like oh holy shit I love this um, and then I played the second one and I was like oh wow this was super fucking weird but I really liked the direction they took it and then three came out and I was like what the fuck just happened because like to me it felt like this really huge tone shift from like you know stuff that's dark and like you know it's fucking teenagers murdering each other it's like it's not it's not great um but like the third game just has like such a dark like kind of angry tone um and i think i feel like they just really pivoted into like the worst parts of the series as opposed to the parts that make it worth sticking around for because like a lot about danganronpa sucks like the way it treats a lot of its female characters sucks there's too many like anime titty jokes. There's too many fucking like be a man jokes, like all of this shit. But there's like in the other two games, there's like enough there that I like and that I think is worthwhile that, you know, like it kind of eases that. 
But three just like really fucking leaned into all of that stuff. Like Mew just sucks as a character. Like everything about her fucking just sucks. And it's not even her fault. She's just written to be the worst. I didn't play much of three. I don't know why I fell off it, but I did. But Mew is a lot. Mew is so bad. So much. And like Kokichi fucking sucks. Um, and his art, which which also sucks because like the core narrative of Kokichi, the main character, who I can't see who it is because it's a spoiler, um, fucking Kaido and um Maki is great. That storyline of them and like how their relationship come to fruition fucking rules. It's so good. But it's surrounded by all of this other gross mean-spirited bullshit and then at the end the game wants to like evangelize to you about how you're actually a bad person playing it and it's like Mm -hmm. you then why did you make it like what is the point i just like kyle hates about it like he felt it was very condescending yeah and i i hate when games do that it's the same thing with bioshock which this is a different conversation but like i hate like like, if a game does not provide you with a different way to go about playing the game and then yells at you for doing the only thing you had an option to do, like, that's the, you're not making a point. Like, the mm-hmm. whole, like, a, a slave obeys, a man chooses, and it's like, okay, well, I didn't have a way to, like, peacefully yeah. navigate through Rapture. <laughs> like, I had to kill people to get through Rapture because there, you literally cannot progress otherwise. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing with Danganronpa, where it's like, oh, like, you get... Like, all these people get enjoyment from watching people murder each other. Isn't reality television terrible? And aren't you the worst? And it's like, well, I mean, you made it. You thought of all of these horrible, horrible death scenes. And made money and got famous off of it. Yeah, like, you came up with, like, horrific, awful ways to kill people and, like, try to obscure it. Like... There was never any like commentary along the way. Either. Yeah, well, and it's like, and there, and the whole point is supposed to be that it's topic and that it's bad and like what happening is fuck is is bad. And so then for you to come at me and be like, actually, you're bad. It's like, no, I'm fucking not. Like, and if I was, you should have had a stronger thesis throughout. Yeah, like that requires some sort of self analysis from the series itself if it's going to sort of like nag you about following it through it's like where's the where's the commentary on your own self like there has to be an awareness Mm -hmm. instead of like Mm -hmm. this sort of condescending like finger wagging like oh but you enjoyed this that's yeah because it's literally it's literally like the like to be as like least spoilery as possible the ending of that game is fucking that it it's all a reality tv show and the game is basically like, isn't it fucked up that people like watching this? Like, isn't it terrible that people like watching kill each other for their entertainment? And like the mystery element is all just for show. Isn't that fucked up? And it's like, okay, but like one of the characters is revealed to be like a producer of the show. And it's like, so she's not the bad guy like for doing this. Like the people who are orchestrating this aren't bad. (laughs) Really? Like, it's the characters who are bad for wanting to be on a reality show. It's you who's bad for wanting to play the game or watch it. Like, fuck you. Exactly. Yeah, I know that Kyle really hates it and felt like it was disrespectful. 
Um, and I wonder, like, I wonder how the conversations about making that ending went, if they were, like, substantial, if someone was like, hey, maybe, like, we shouldn't do this. Like, mm-hmm. this is something yeah, well- we kind of worked towards. <clears throat> Yeah, and I mean, I've heard talk that, I don't remember his name, but, like, the guy who's normally the creative lead on Dang and Rampa kind of has a history of, like, once he starts getting burnt out on the games that he's making, he just kind of, like, sets it on fire and says, fuck it. But it was really, (laughs) it was really interesting to me, though, because, like, that happened and they're like, okay, no more Dang and Rampa. But then his pitch for his new game is literally just, like, Dang and Rampa, kids who are even younger. Isn't it called Tribe Nine or something? Something like that, I think. And it's like the kids are in like middle school or elementary school or something. But you're and I was like, bad for playing that game. And but I was, I was like, bro, if you're tired of making murder mystery like violent sims, why the fuck are you making one with even younger children? Yeah, that's wild. So that's a different conversation, I realize. But I think, like, yeah, to me, like, that was, like, a shift in a way that felt like, I don't know, I don't want to sound like an entitled gamer of, like, it was insulting to the fans. But it's, like, it's insulting to just, like, me as a person consuming a piece of media. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It crossed the line of evolving into something. um, Like, just evolving, but it became something totally new and not in a good way just like something that thematically was not present throughout the games like if there was any like i've played the first and the second one and i really like the second one but if there was any commentary around this like like that just came out of left field as far as i have gathered from people and some people took yeah it people didn't I, and- like some people liked it a lot but like i thought it was bullshit especially because they paired it with the whole all of this was fake and it's like that's boring it's so boring to be like oh this terrible dystopic thing was all a dream it's basically mm-hmm. what it is it's like just a television show God. and it's like fuck you like the story that you were creating was so much more interesting than this bullshit um which i realize that's that just a taste core element or like i don't think it it's so much sacrificed as it went directly against it like it just kind of directly Mm -hmm. once again went against its own dna and i think that's what made it so jarring and so divisive like you yeah aspect of the game that it just like shat on essentially yeah well i think it leaned into the really shitty parts of its dna because like i said like those like you've played them not like those games are like they have problems with like some of the sexual content and stuff like that and the third one just ramped that shit up. Like, just all of the Monokuma cubs are so fucking uncomfortable. There's an incest plot line with them. Like, it's just fucking awful. That also feels and- like a a core thing that they sacrificed, right? Like, it's always been a singular Monokuma in the first and the mm-hmm. second game. But in the third game, like, like when I saw the several, like, Monokumas, like, I thought it was very jarring, and I think that's one of the reasons why I fell off it. Like, it just, it felt like it sacrificed too many core things early on. Yeah, well, and it's weird, because, like, Monokuma is supposed to be, like, really uncomfortable and, like, creepy in the way that, like, like haunted carnival clowns are kind of creepy, I feel like. 
Um, and adding the monocubs, they just made it like this weird fucked up slapstick that like it didn't fit the tone. It was really uncomfortable. Like they're they're canonically siblings and two of them fuck. Like it's just that's I yeah it's a huge yike it's a huge fucking yike and it's like I don't like I don't know who why would you make this creative decision like it just it just does it it does not take any of the good of the series and move it forward instead it just leans really heavy into the bad and then moves it completely away from its core premise and so like yeah I think Danganronpa is probably like my biggest example of like fucking up a franchise Damn. That's real shit. <laughs> Surprisingly, <laughs> have not played any of those games. Don't. Don't get invested. Because <laughs> the third one sucks. If anything, just play the second one and just kind of let it go afterwards. Why know? do I... Why do I only like franchises where the third one kind of sucks? I don't know. Yeah, like you Dragon do. Age, you <laughs> do not like Inquisition. Um, do you like Kingdom Hearts 3 much? Mm. it's fine oh yeah yeah um yeah it's kind of funny actually (laughs) god damn maybe dragon age 4 will be better and if danganronpa before with maybe it's just the number three it's just not working out for you i will literally never play another danganronpa game ever again (laughs) (laughs) i don't think he will even make another danganronpa game no he was out of it that he wasn't going to instead now he's making his like kindergarten murder sim or whatever good good choices yeah um yeah i don't know why that's like a weird am i cursed did i i must have like pissed off a witch or something i don't know why this would be the case for every single thing i like because even like mass effect 3 is apparently bad i haven't finished it but oh you haven't finished mass Mass effect Effect 3? 3 I started a file, but I didn't import a shepherd, and that made it dead, and that was really depressing, so I stopped playing. Why didn't you import one? Because I got impatient, and my shepherd was, like, I was playing the PS3 one, and I think I was only, like, way through the second game. Um, and then I just really wanted to play three. Um, but if you import with, if you don't import a shepherd... Bioware does the Bioware thing, and they're like, oh, well, you wouldn't have met these people. And so then they're just not there. It's weird that it just, like, defaults to that. (laughs) I remember reading, they explained it somewhere where they were like, we assume that, like, if we basically make it so, like, if you didn't make those choices, we just kind of assume that, like, you wouldn't keep them because, like, or, like, we, we, we remove those characters because you wouldn't have an attachment to them if you hadn't seen them. So I guess it's like a you you can't miss what you didn't know. <laughs> but um, I really think you should go back and like I think the journey of redoing that so that you can import your shepherd is worth it. I'd be curious to see what you think of Mass Effect Three. Like I am Mass Effect Three defender. I don't think Mass Effect Three is bad. It didn't seem bad from like what I gathered, but no, I think um, that I do. <laughs> I did purchase my Xbox specifically so that I could play Dragon Age and uh, Mass. Um, so 
I have a Shepard in Mass Effect 2 that I did the Genesis DLC for because I will never play Mass Effect 1 again. Um, Because that yeah, game fucking sucks yeah, to play. I really like Mass Effect 1, honestly. Like, people are always like, oh, Mass Effect 1 was so good. And did you know that Mass Effect 3's ending sucked and it was so bad? <laughs> and Mass Effect 3 was so terrible. And I just sit there like, actually, I had no problems with Mass Effect is ending, and it was my yeah. favorite. And Mass Effect One is the most boring one to me. Um, is there a Mass way to play Mass Effect Three's ending, the original one now though? Because didn't they like mod it out? Yeah, there's an extended cut DLC, which mm-hmm. is a lot better. Um, I played okay. it with that. I, I imagine I would have been dissatisfied if I played it when it came out, but I didn't. <laughs> I played it with the director's cut DLC, and I had absolutely no problems with it. So, yeah. So I'm gonna eventually I'll get back around to that. But yeah, I don't know what it is. Like apparently trilogies and I just don't don't mix well. No, because the third one always sucks. God said you have two brain cells, not three. Thus, (laughs) not like. You will not like the third entry. You will like the first and the second, but not the third. And the second will be, oh my god, and the second is always my favorite, too. Yeah, Dragon Age 2, Danganronpa 2, Kingdom Hearts 2, Birth by Sleep, it's kind of like in there. Yeah, I mean, Kingdom Hearts is weird because it's like not a trilogy, so there's all the weird funkiness, but out of like the main line, 2 is my favorite. Is Persona 3 your favorite? I've never played Persona 3. Ah, oh, you should. I it's my favorite. I've heard I've heard that I should play it. I've only played Persona 4 Golden and Persona 5. Yeah. Three is where it's at for me. Hmm. Three's pretty good. It's uh, it has Persona's same issues, so it's not like you'll be surprised by the like the sexism and the you know. Oh, I just, I just like like, aside from Final Fantasy IX, which I am honor-bound to play, I don't know that I can fuck with any more JRPGs. They are really not my bag. Damn. I feel that, though. I see it. Yeah, I'm a Western RPG bitch. Do you think you'll play Dragon Age 4? I don't know. Probably. I feel like I need to know. Yeah. It's it's that it's going to be that decisive one of like has this franchise evolved into something like that still retains its core um aspects um or has it just become something totally new that is just really not for you. And that's where I am at with Kingdom Hearts like mm-hmm. on the opposite side of the spectrum in the sense that I don't feel like it's evolved enough. Like, is this just more of the same that I I have grown past liking these things? Yeah. I do want to update my stance um, post-Remind <laughs> cast, though. Yeah. Because um, I've thought about it more, and I rewatched those scenes again. And if Kingdom Hearts Horror is just Final Fantasy X-3 or whatever, I'm going to be furious. And I will not play it. <laughs> Just thinking about ten three, you know the the stuff that was like rumored around ten three, right? Like years ago. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that just gave me traumatic flashbacks. Okay, actually, no, maybe. Mm. I don't want to think about like, it. Just... Yeah, well, because like I said earlier, and like just prolifically in general, like to me, Kingdom Hearts is not Final Fantasy. So turning it into a Final Fantasy game is like the one thing that will push me away from it. Yeah, like like you can't make up, uh, like you can't um, get rid of the disney like if you want it to be final fantasy just make fucking final fantasy exactly which i real, which i realize is like it's a whole thing with namura and that all that shit is complicated but like just for me it's like like final fantasy already exists like plugging this because it's gonna this is gonna come out after but like i wrote a piece for fan by talking about like how the kingdom hearts is cool because the final fantasy characters get to be entirely different people And so, like, to me, like, the fun part of Kingdom Hearts is taking these weird, disparate things, putting them together and making something new and fun. So taking that and then squishing it into a Final Fantasy and saying, no, this is Final Fantasy. It's always been Final Fantasy is like, well, then I just wasted fucking 15 years of my life. I agree. Like, as much as I don't care for the Disney stuff at this point, and I'm like, God, like, why are we watching Elsa sing? And just I stand by that scene being good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was like a small slat of shade towards you. I haven't forgiven you. I stand that. by it. I, I, I don't regret a oh, single thing I know thing you're I committed to it hey, um, I don't think that I could do Kingdom Hearts anymore based on, I don't know I just like I also am not um, I guess as big on like more recent Disney I don't know I'm just not as into Disney as I used to be I think it's part of the issue that's fair I think we talked about this on the Remind cast but like I think that Kingdom Hearts 3 actually did the best job of utilizing the Disney worlds because um, I think they, they were more aggressive about the thematic connections that said, that does not apply to the Tangled world or the Frozen world. I just mm. think the Frozen world is great because Sora absolutely would stand in the snow, not wearing a jacket, and listen to a woman sing an entire three-minute song and do nothing but look at Donald <laughs> confused. <laughs> that is the truest characterization I have ever seen in a video game. made sure not to sacrifice that very core aspect Kingdom Hearts, just... Sora being a himbo. Yeah, Sora is a himbo in trading, and Donald and Goofy are incompetent babysitters. <laughs> oh, man. Kingdom Hearts, man. Kingdom Hearts. It makes me so fucking feral. <laughs> it really be like that. Like, nothing pulls it out of me faster than bringing up Kingdom Hearts. Um, I'm thinking of other series that I guess Fire Emblem is one. Mm, I don't know shit about Fire Emblem. I've only played Three Houses. I I know Jessica is very big on it, but have you played any of the the past ones? I've played like a couple minutes of Awakening. (laughs) That's about it. It's evolved in, in a good way, I think. Like, I think, like, something that I've known about Fire Emblem, like, those things that you know about a series that you don't play like one of the things that i knew about fire emblem was that it was terrible to its female characters mm. like that was just a thing that was known but i think three houses really thankfully evolves on that it's not perfect but um it's a lot better and it has evolved in a way that people really appreciate in terms of like prioritizing the story 
and the characters that there's like there's a lot of work that goes into making them and they're finally taking advantage of those characters and um exploring their storylines rather than just kind of like making them sort of like a secondary feature so um i think that's also an interesting series to analyze but i don't have the first-hand knowledge to really speak on it yeah i'd be kind of useless on that one too I, I wonder too. though, and like I've heard some people who are like diehard um, Fire Emblem fans aren't as huge into Three Houses because of like oh. just like the troop management, I guess, mm. is a lot. Yeah, more- I've heard that a lot of the mechanics and stuff are like maybe a little bit contentious for folks who are yeah. more familiar with it. Um, this is all just like like shit I've seen on Twitter and stuff though. Yeah, like no, I don't know anything too. about Fire Emblem. Yeah. But because I think that, um, and also I think the other Fire Emblem games are a lot more like politically connected to one another. Mm-hmm. So I think that honestly, I bet you you could find like diehard Fire Emblem fans who would probably say that uh, Three Houses is the Inquisition of Fire Emblem games. It's interesting how that sounds right. It is about religious war crimes. <sighs> <laughs> it's interesting how subjective that list of like priorities and things that can be sacrificed can be because like i i think both kate and i have been like diehard dragon age fans or at least you were until inquisition but Mm i i love inquisition and i know you don't (laughs) like it and it's Mm. contrast your reaction to danganronpa with kenneth's which i know is very glowing and positive and happy and satisfied um so it's it's a hard thing to nail and i don't think it's something that can be objectively nailed yeah and i mean just like a lot of it's taste too you know so it's hard it's hard to nail it for everyone it's hard to like i guess like that's the biggest struggle right is like keeping i guess the integrity of your game which sounds very like (laughs) i don't know pretentious weird so i don't necessarily like that but like the integrity of like the franchise and the game and what the fans who already are with you like and creating something that you think other people can jump into. And I think that the best example of that is probably The Witcher 3. The Witcher I think 3. The Witcher, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say The Witcher 3. Yeah, yeah I, say, I think The Witcher 3 mm-hmm. has like a really good mix of being like, we're not going to completely baby this game and make it for somebody who's new to the series. But at the same time, we're not going to like, punish you for not knowing what's going on you'll be able to like give it a little bit hard to catch up i actually Um, i will say as much as i talk shit about persona 5 and persona generally i do think that persona 5 does a good job of being like here is something that has all of the same shit from core persona games that people like and we also brought back like older mechanics like the negotiating with the demons and shit Mm-hmm. But we wrapped it in this very stylish, aesthetically pleasing rapper with really dope music and characters that you really are going to be like, like, you're going to like them, you're going to be attached to them, they look really cool, um, and you can do like customization with them and stuff. That is the um, I, that's- thing I've ever heard you say about Persona 5. <laughs> yeah. It was like a different, like, like a spirit just like came into your body of like a 17-year-old man. Look, I will talk mad shit about Persona 5. I think like as a as a 
a thing that exists in the world. It fucking sucks. But if I was someone who just blindly loved Persona and had no critical thinking skills, which is a lot of Persona fans, um, I think that Persona 5 would be a good bridge between 4 and people who are new to the series. Yeah, I agree. Because yeah, I think, like, 4 four was my per- first Persona, and it has, like, Jess and I have talked about this a lot, of, like, I, I think it's really interesting that it just has this overall very oppressive, creepy vibe the whole fucking game. I think that's, like, kind of a feat, honestly, but it makes me really uncomfortable, and, like, it made playing it very, like, joyless for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Persona 5 doesn't do that. I think there's a lot more, like, vibrance in persona 5 that i think would be appealing to someone who is new to it yeah absolutely also i think the dungeons are better yeah the dungeons are better it's just more stylish it's and then on the other hand you have the criticism that it it's exactly as you said like it's both it's greatest aspect and it's worst one that it has everything or like a variety of things that make persona persona but it decides to just kind of combine them and not actually evolve on them very much like mm-hmm. the amazing music has always been a serious staple um it hasn't evolved in the ways that it should like in the sorry for that can you edit that out <laughs> yes <laughs> like, um, this hasn't evolved in the ways that it um should in my opinion like it hasn't mm-hmm. evolved enough it, it, it's really mm-hmm. good at encapsulating what makes persona persona but it isn't willing to evolve what persona means mm-hmm. yeah and, and like i think the biggest thing that i just want to see in like a game like persona where the whole thing like especially five right like five is all about like I, like i guess it's just like problems with society which sounds very like fucking jokery like i hate that society <laughs> yeah exactly. the dark character's name is literally joker jess oh god yeah oh man oh, oh. <laughs> that sucks <laughs> but um yeah, yeah persona five fucking sucks <laughs> And that was um, the entire point of this podcast, Persona. And honestly, this entire podcast is just me taking shots at Kenneth Shepard. Don't be Persona 5. What makes a franchise a franchise? Not being like Persona 5. But no, all I was going to say is, like, I just feel like Persona, like, needs to give a shit more, like, socially. Um, oh, yeah. Like, it's Well, especially because, like, redundant. big shit big shit is happening with women and queer folks yeah. in japan yeah like that's what that whole like my my one piece that i wrote for into the spine was about that it still fucking baffles me and i am going to be writing something about this soon um Ooh. that joker's character or like the protagonist at the beginning of persona you stop i guess like in like a trigger warning here for anybody with talk about sexual assault very briefly but it's like his whole thing starts like the reason why the police 
you know, like he gets in trouble with the police and he he has a record and he has to move is because he stops a woman from getting raped. And the majority of the adults in that series and like especially like um, Sojiro, right? Like the guy who you stay mm-hmm. with. They're just mm-hmm. like, why did Like, why did you do anything? That's not your place. Like, you wouldn't be in trouble with the cops if you wouldn't have done anything. You shouldn't do the right thing. Just that was the lesson of Persona 5. Don't do the right thing. Uh, And it's like, I mean, that is the lesson of Persona 5, though, because it's like after you do all of that, they're like, "Mm, but you were maybe the bad guys, huh? You're right. Fuck you. I hate Persona 5. (laughs) I agree. I'm staring at my copy of it right now, just furious. (laughs) I want to throw it. Persona 5 sucks, I hope. Persona 5 ourselves badly. (laughs) I feel like he has something more to say. (laughs) As like, I'm not sure how to follow up the passion in their voice about Persona 5. That's why I was like quiet. I was like, I need to process all that and just like. That's why I wasn't saying anything. <laughs> I hope I hope the royal sells badly. It won't, but I hope that it does. I I hope for your sake that it does, and for nothing else, <laughs> just for your sake. That it sells Thank you. <laughs> <sighs> Man, you ever just want to get me real mad? Just that or God of War twenty eighteen? I will just scream. Ooh, I haven't played that. Damn it! But that could totally fit into that. Could have fitted into this discussion. And if I had Mm -hmm. played it, I would be able to say something substantial. Yeah, and I think I mean to be fair to God of War. Um, since I was nice to Persona for a second, um, I do think that the evolution of God of War from what it used to be to the 2018 one actually is very good and like it took large strides but Mm -hmm. also video game men are big babies who don't know how to deal with feelings or write women who are telling are good in any way so still bad amen yeah it's a sip of of my water take a sip babes because that's the tea (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh no did i just I kill you i'm so water. sorry i spat water all over my computer all over the I'm mic so all sorry. over i just did a full-blown spit take <laughs> this is disgusting that feels i'm like sorry the problem is is the laptop I'm using is touchscreen i don't even know how to clean this without fucking something oh no <laughs> water all over the screen this it's like a it's like a napkin. Maybe it like won't register. <laughs> My sleeve like, right now. It's it's going all right. We're we're working with it. Yeah. That was I. I feel I'm sorry. It was it was the person going down the lock flume ride. I was the ride. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, the ride Cogswell. <laughs> that sounds like a sex thing. It does. It really it does. does um anyway that. that's, that's, probably, that's probably a good that's probably a good note to end the show on um so i think that is gonna do it for us matt where can people find you on the internet and your lovely work 
Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Hardemisia, which is heart I M E C I A. It's like a reference to Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> Shoutouts to Final Fantasy VIII fans. Uh, I like Kate mentioned. I am the weekend writer at Fanby, so my work is now there on the weekends. I do a lot of ship posting, but also some thoughtful, uh, maybe commentary. Uh, feel <laughs> free to stop by and uh, read my ship posts. And um, yeah, and then I just kind of have bylines at different places. Um, just like you're a gamer, Polygon. Um, soon, you know, no have, big deal. <laughs> soon, I'll have a Vice Games byline. <gasps> I'm very excited about that. Um, maybe I'll have it by the time this podcast goes up, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Um, and yeah, and Twitter is kind of like the main place where I unfortunately unleash my chaos on (laughs) oh yeah jess where can people find you uh people can find me at twitter uh, or on twitter (laughs) at twitter i am twitter i refuse at at twitter and jess will answer (laughs) god that's what i should instead of giving like fake numbers i'm gonna start giving fake handles Oh my god! Or like, um, yeah, because it's not like people can like name search you or anything. Shh. <laughs> you or can fake Instagram usernames. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There's a lot of Jessica Howards in the world, or Jessica Cogswells. There's less Jessica Cogswells. There's like a million Jessica Howards. Uh, I'm sure there's the more than one Jessica Cogswell. The there world. is because there's another woman who has the the handle that I want because her name's Jessica Cogswell. Because it's not supposed so to be Jessica. It's Jesse. Like there's supposed to be an I, not an A. Sometimes people think my name's Jessa, and it's not Jessa. Ah, that's a- no. It's just eh. Just eh. Just eh. Anyway, you can find me at Jessica Cogs, though my name is not Jessa, <laughs> and I work at Uppercut. Uh, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. You can find me on Twitter at C and eight R's. Uh, Pound Around is a product of Uppercut, which you can find on Twitter at Uppercut Crit and Instagram at Uppercut underscore Crit. And all of our stuff is collected in one big bundle over on UppercutCrit.com. If you want to hang out with the Uppercut crew, you can join our Discord server. The link will be in the show notes. Um, I am pausing in my intro because I forgot to pull up Patreon because I need to do producers. I'm a dumb bitch. Um, you forgot to pull up Patreon. I, yes. <laughs> I don't. I can't. I don't know how to do it. I can't do. You should have gotten the list of people like whose names you read and like put it in the award translator. <laughs> Oh my and God. just you read all those names, but in a woo version. <laughs> but it's like I don't do the higher pitch; it's just my normal voice. But woos, yeah, just like the frat boy. <laughs> oh my God! I don't think I could do my voice that deep for that long. Um. Anyway, um, 
If you like the show, be sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, but iTunes is the most helpful. And uh, if you're feeling extra frisky, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash uppercutcrit. And if you do so at the $7 level, you'll get your name read at the end of the show, like these fine people. Our Patreon producers are Abnormal Mapping, Adept7777, Adrian A. Rock Williams, Andrew Renee, Andrew Rivera, Andrew Sherman, Barrett Courtney, Chris Nelson, Colton Crow, DJ Kento, Eli Berg Moss, Eric Jin, Eric Sapp, GameCrash.co.uk, Ginny Wu, Jared Shu, JV Gwaltney, Jesse Peterson, Jesse Vitelli, Cam Koenig, Kenneth Shepard, Lucas Lyon, Matthew Flowers, Michael Diaz Suarez, Mikey Phillips, Numer Osman Alamine, Optional Objectives, Phil Villar, Quinton Hoffman, Sean Martin, and Tyler McCall. Thank y'all so much for your donations. And yeah, we couldn't do it without you. So. With that, we're going to rippity-wrap this up. Goodbye. Rippity-wrap. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Welcome to Very Random Encounters, where we play tabletop RPGs and randomly determine as much as possible. Remember playing with Legos and swapping the people's heads and limbs to create horrid abominations that God forgot? Our show is what it would be like if those rejected attempts at the human form had to go out and save the day. We turn the nonsense into a story with a nice message, like how friendship is stronger than a mind-controlled goblin jazz band. Hey, that's a thing that really happened. Find Very Random Encounters wherever you randomly determine to listen to podcasts.